Psalm 34, and we are continuing our series, Faith in a Frenzied World. And tonight's topic is affection in an age of apathy. And I'm going to introduce an emotion to you tonight. You know, people talk about raising your IQ. Well, there's something called your EQ, which is your emotional intelligence. And you have a higher emotional intelligence if, if you're able to uh, understand what you're, experience, what you're experiencing and put words to it and act accordingly. So I think we're going to be helped with that uh, tonight. But, but what better way to do that than through an emoji? Because that's how we all understand ourselves now, right? Uh, anybody know who this guy is? This guy's name is Gene. Uh, I think his full name is actually Gene Meh. Uh, I know next to nothing about this movie. I've never seen it. Uh, but from my understanding of the plot, you know, Gene is, he is the son of uh, these other two uh, characters, and they are Mel and Mary Meh, and apparently that's kind of the only way that they know how to engage life, but Gene is able to have multiple facial expressions and it kind of brings some tension into the film early on as he's trying to explore who, who can I be and who can I uh, become. And that's about as far into the plot that I, I was able to read before going crazy. Um, and as, as cute and as uh, slightly disgusting as, as that is, uh, you know, we know that when, when this is our experience... Right? In moments that you might use the word meh, if that's a descriptor that you would use, um, it's, it's far from cute. It is unsettling. It, it, it sticks to you. It can feel like you're swimming through a pool of molasses and not sure when you're going to be able to surface and, and take a breath. And the classic word for this is apathy. Apathy is an experience of indifference. It's a feeling of not feeling. It's, it's not so much happiness uh, or sadness. It, it, it's kind of beyond that. It's that sense that none of that really matters anymore anyway. And so you're just feeling a bit numb to everything. You, you don't know whether you're really bored or depressed or almost crazy, and so the best you can do is to respond with a shrug and a whatever. I just, I quit. You know, I, I, I give up. I resign myself to whatever it is that is pressuring me in this moment. And, and where does this come from? Well, well apathy is, is, is something that we do. It's a way of protecting ourselves from hard realities, and, and there are hard realities in life. That's one of my goals of this series, it's one of my, my goals as a pastor uh, to make sure you're introduced to that and, and that you see God's explanation for what we confront in this world and the, and the hope that he provides. But there's just, there's reality to life and there's a lot of reality in this book, but there's a lot of young people that are entering the world and they are, they are unprepared for what they're going to face when they experience college or they enter into young adulthood and they explore around in their 20s and, and they've had big expectations for what life is going to deliver their way, but what they weren't prepared for were all the disappointing features that they were going to face. But, but when life isn't rewarding us the way that we want, if we're not really getting whatever it is that we're after, and we're after a variety of things, we have our own 
personal agendas. Right? You showed up tonight with an agenda. There's something that you want out of this meeting. There's something that you want out of this setting, you know, unless you're just absolutely uh, required to be here against your will. Well, then there's another agenda that's going on. It's being imposed on you uh, in this, this moment. But we all have something that, that we're after. But when, when life doesn't provide that, there's a temptation to retreat, to disengage, to feel like we're done trying to care because it's just hurt too many times. And so you kind of hang a do not disturb sign on your emotional door. Uh, sorry, just can't deal right now. Thanks, but no thanks. Maybe that's something you've told your parents before. I just can't. Not now, not tonight, not going to work. And, and we do that toward other people. You do it to your friends, you do it to your siblings, you do it to your, your parents. But, but we can also do that with God as well. We, we can feel like we're done caring about God. You know, we, we will be polite around Him. We're not antagonistic toward Him or hostile, but we're not passionately engaged. We don't want to take the risk of leaning in and coming with a hunger, coming with a sense of expectancy. After all, what, what, what has that done for us? What difference has it really made? How has that furthered whatever it is that I'm after? And so it seems better to just stay neutral, not putting ourselves out there and getting let down. And, and, and there's a cultural apathy that plays out along the same lines as well, and, and it can mark the teen and young adult years in particular. And it looks just like dismissal of things related to God and eternity. And, and again, not necessarily hostility, not necessarily feeling like, you know, that's all bogus stuff. I don't believe in God. That's all untrue. It's a, it's a bunch of myths out there. Well, some people take that posture. But if I had to guess, you know, as you guys are interacting with friends and, and you know, th those that are toward the tail end of, of high school and going to be experiencing college soon, you're, 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 you're confronting this more and more, right? It's not that these things are treated like they're meaningless. There's still things that people will get excited about or argue their case for. It's just that if it doesn't have a trending hashtag, then it doesn't really matter. It's not worth the attention. It's not worth even discussing. Here's how Paul Maxwell describes it. We now face a bigger, badder, I don't care. It's more complex. Topics of God, church, love, community, spiritual discipline, theological conviction, relational faithfulness, life, work, family, friends, whatever, they all receive a definitive, self-assured, and swank meh. And that's true in the culture around us, but think about yourself. Is that true for you? Does anything on that list excite you? If I, if I said, tonight we're talking about spiritual disciplines. We're talking about reading your Bible, having a prayer life, right? Is, is there a readiness to learn, to further engage what God wants to do in your life personally in those times and settings? Or is there kind of a leaning back as to, I don't know, if, that's, if that really matters 
that really is relevant to what I'm experiencing right now. Talk about things like theological conviction. Right? I, I, I met with a, a, a couple of college students yesterday, and, and they're trying to figure out, they're kind of exploring a dating relationship, um, and, and they're trying to figure out what role does the, the, the difference that we have in theology play into whether or not there's a future for the two of us. And I thank them that they let that meeting happen. Because there's nobody that talks in those terms today. You just breeze on by. What, what does your heart say? You know? What's exciting you right now? All that other stuff takes the backseat of relevance, family, friends. It's, it's easy for this to impact us as well so that we, we meet all that with a polite thanks, but no thanks. Uh, not right now. And, and so to, to show up with a, an experience of commitment to seem passionate about certain things that are on this list or that God cares about and reveals, things that, that call you to sacrifice and to trade in your comfort in order to have them. That feels more and more strange. And maybe you even feel like you'd be the odd one out, even in a group like this, a youth group, a church group, where we're... we're supposed to be about all these things together, but we can dial it back because why, why risk seeming so sold out? You, you realize that's the apathy of the world around us affecting us, getting inside of us, shaping us, and it's what's in our own hearts as well. It's just easier to sit back and watch and experience the safety of not being moved. Well, you know, God's got a lot to say about this, but he, he doesn't say it in a way that, hey, you know, open up your index in the back and look up the word apathy, much less the word meh or the emoji, right? <laughs> the, the Bible, and I know people are trying to come out with an emoji edition of the Bible. It just doesn't quite work. Um, that's not the way that God has chosen to communicate. But, you know, all over Scripture, is about the condition of heart and feeling that we're describing tonight. And it's written to address it. And that's what we see in particular in Psalm 34. So we're going to read this together. David writes this. And, and listen to his words and how they sound. And before I start preaching from this, you pay attention. And you make your own conclusions. What is he describing? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes his refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. 
for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Let's pray. God, it's clear that this psalm is designed to be an invitation to us. It is an excited invitation for us to experience something that maybe we know, maybe it's foreign to us, or maybe we've tasted something of this and we, we know we want it more. But Lord, we also recognize that it, it's the kind of thing that can't be manufactured. Just being here in this room doesn't add anything to us. We need what you promise in this text. We need your nearness. We need you to be active toward us, acting upon us, and giving us grace to respond to you when you do so. So help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, I don't know if you notice this when you read the Psalms, but you should pay attention to it. I didn't read it just now, but all the way up at the top, of that psalm, do you see there's a little title there? You guys, look down. You got your own Bible here, or a Bible where you can see this? It says this, of David, that's who wrote it, and then it tells you why he wrote it, or when he wrote it. Uh, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. And if you guys, raise your hand if you know what that's talking about. Got like one parent who does. All right. Uh, so what, what's being described here, you know, if you follow the story of David, at some point David becomes anointed as king in Israel, but he's not the only guy who's sitting on the throne in Israel. There's still the old king. There's still Saul, and Saul is jealous of this dude, and he wants to destroy him. And so David needs to go on the run. And, and so much of David's life is fleeing from enemies. Uh, he runs toward Goliath, you know, at the, the beginning of kind of his, his role in, in, a, in a public way, uh, but, but he's doing a lot of running away from Saul, uh, from his own children later on in life, um, and, and it comes to a point where he's, he's no longer safe within Israel. So he's kicked out of his homeland. He's away from what's familiar to him, and, and he arrives 
in the land of the Philistines, the land of the people whose hero that he killed, right? Goliath was a Philistine. And uh, after David, you know, slayed him, they go off running in fear. And so he, he shows up there and, and, and they begin to catch wind that David dude is living among us, and that news is spreading around. And, and it says in 1 Samuel that David became afraid of the king in the, in the land there. And so what he did in order to kind of convince them that he wasn't some threat, it, it, it says that he pretended to be insane. It says, that, and this is what the Bible says, right? This is kind of the Bible verses that I love. He let his spittle run down his beard. So he starts drooling all over the place and kind of making marks on the wall. So they, they think that he's this, this crazy person. And, you know, when something's unpredictable like that, you better stay away. Uh, I came across this uh, news article that said, very angry badger forces parts of Scotland's historic Pragnathan Castle to close. So I'm sure they could have taken out that badger. They could have taken care of business. But when there's a feral animal there, you kind of just like give it its space. And uh, they, they do that to David here as well. And, and David's conclusion from that, right? That, that's a moment of humiliation. That's not a moment of dignity, for this man. There, this is an extreme case of need. But what's on his mind, and it's just evident from what we just read, is God showed up. God delivered me. He delivered me through me looking like a crazy person. But he did that. And, and, and listen, in, in our moments of weakness and shame, that's when we most want to hide. That's when we most want to get away from whatever it is that makes us feel that way. And we turn inward and we become emotionally unavailable. And David does the opposite here. He leans into it. It becomes an, an occasion to celebrate God. And, and, and just another fact about this psalm, uh, it's an acrostic, which means that every line, there's 22 verses and there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So every line starts with a new letter of the alphabet. Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, Vav, and just kind of go on, on down. And which shows that there's, there's, there's effort that he put into writing this. There, there's attention that he's paying. And it's designed to create attention on our part as well. To memorize it, to think about it, to consider it. And so that's what we encounter here. And, and he gives us four descriptors of God's people, and, and these are not terms of indifference, right? This is the language of commitment, of, of being affected and responding to something that we see in God. And, and the, the first one that you could kind of pull from verses 1 through 8 is, is radiance. I think that just describes that section. It's a word we find there. But but notice that how, how David's engaged toward the Lord. There's certain verbs that he uses. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I make my boast in the Lord. I hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Exalt His name. That's active. It sounds like pursuit. And it sounds like enjoyment. There's a certain way that people sound when they 
enjoy something. And, and their presentation about that, they're making a case, no, this is really good. You need some of that as well. And he's talking about magnifying God. I don't know what comes to mind for you when you think about that. Like, what does it mean to magnify God? Does that sound interesting? Does that sound inviting? Because uh, we, can, we can have the association with that, like, and literally the, the, the term magnify means to make great. And so it's like, are we like bringing our worship duty offering to God and it's like, oh, here's something of me and I'm giving it to you, God, and bringing ourselves and offering something in order to make God greater and we experience the sense of demand of that, that's not motivating, is it? Well, I've heard this illustration before that when you, when you go to magnify something, you could, you could have two things that come to mind. You could think of a microscope, right? You, you got something that's tiny, perhaps too tiny for our own eyes to be able to see by themselves. And the microscope, you know, you, you, you get like a, a bed bug and it looks like some alien creature that's invaded when you put it under a microscope. Uh, but when you use a telescope, what you're doing there, you're, you're not taking tiny things and making them big. It's like, oh, how cute, Jupiter. It's really this tiny, but it looks big. Good job, Jupiter. No, you're taking massively, incomprehensibly large things and you're seeing them a little bit more accurately to the way that they really are. That's what happens when you use a telescope. And when we magnify God, when he becomes more in our focus, we're not getting out a microscope and helping him out. We're pulling out our telescope and we're staring in wonder and we're seeing a little bit more clearly how big he is, how awesome, how beautiful, how compelling he is. And, and, and he, he describes that as his his glory. The, the word glory, it's the term for weight, for significance. What, what, what provides for you a sense of significance? What gives you that sense that, that's, that's something I identify with. I take pride in that. It talks about boasting in God here. Right? What, what does that for you? Is it certain accomplishments, certain talents that you have? Is it you're kind of smart? Is it you, you, you know, you're kind of athletic? Uh, you're just real socially engaged or able to interact with people effectively and draw them in? Is it that you're a moral person? You, you don't have all the problems that other people your age get into and, and you know, your parents are really proud of you because you're a good person? Right? What... What is it that you say, that, that makes me feel significant? That gives me a sense of pride. Because all those things that I just mentioned, you know, whether it's something about you or it's something else in your life that feels like it's in order, you're getting what you want, whatever it is you're after, listen, those are such flimsy things. They could be taken away from you in a moment. Either because something is gone in your life or you realize you're not as much hot stuff as you thought you were. And that, that becomes a crisis. That becomes an occasion to grow cold. But 
David, we're, we're, we're at the very moment where this man has acted like a total fool. And he has lost all of his dignity. But what makes him glad is unaffected. It has not changed one bit. I don't care that you've seen the drool run down my beard. Because what I boast in has not changed by anything else. And, and I love the reality of this passage. He says, let the humble, or that, that word is the afflicted, hear and be glad. It's not just written about people in great circumstances. This is, this is to people who feel damaged, people who feel wounded in some way, but there's an awareness of what God has done, how He has acted. He, he says that God has answered us, that He has delivered us, that He's heard us, that He saves us, that He surrounds us. And listen, that's not just true of this man. Are you aware that that's true in your life? That's what we've been singing about tonight. In fact, we have a more clear presentation of God's saving action in our lives, and we'll see that toward the end. But, but notice the, rev, the result that something changes about us from this. Verse 5, those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. I'm not, I'm not subject to fear and to shame because there's something else that matters more. And, and I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of someone that you'd say, oh, they're radiant. Their face is radiant. She is radiant. He is shining. Or just be honest with yourself. Does that describe you? Does that describe how you interact with the people that are in your world? Or, we, or words like complaining and despondent and withdrawing, uh, irritated, joyless. Right? What, what is coming forth from you because that shows have I been affected or have I reserved myself from being impacted by the Lord in this way? Because the picture that comes to mind for me, you know, you think of Moses and he comes down off the mountain and his face is really shiny and it freaks everybody out. But he's someone that's been near to God and the impact and the result of that is clear. He says in verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Right? When, when there's something that has grabbed your taste buds in that way, uh, you, don't, you don't relate to that passively. <laughs> uh, you plan for it. You, you, you order your schedule around it. Uh, I mean, I certainly do. It's no secret to you guys that if, if I discover that we're starting to run low on ice cream in our house, I, I'll, I'll probably show you. If, if you, you go to Winn-Dixie after this meeting, you might find me there just making sure it's, it's taken care of because the, the things that excite me, that get these taste buds going, right? There, there's, a, there's a compelling to plan around that and arrange for it. There's an experience that I want to make sure I have. And, and not only that, I want others to get in on that as well. You've you got to taste this. You've got, you got to encounter this 
as well. And, 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 and when he's saying, magnify God with me, right, that's the invitation. Right, when, when, something, when something has affected you in this way, praise just becomes the overflow of that. You know, if it's someone praising somebody that they, you know, they're really proud of their children and they're just kind of saying, you, know, you, you got to notice what he's done or what she's accomplished. You just can't help but speak about it. If it's some new restaurant that you've, you've gone to and, and, and it was a great experience, you tell other people about it because there's an enjoyment that you have that overflows. But there, there does need to be a purpose to experience God in this way. And it happens, it happens in ordinary ways. How do you taste and see? You open up one of these and you read and you bring your heart near to God and you invite his perspective and you think about it and you make yourself available in moments like what we were just doing when we were singing. You don't lean back and close yourself off. You, you, you bring yourself to the experience when God's word is opened up and, and preached, you come hungry because you, you know he's good and you want more of him. Uh, something we were talking about last night at the Youth Alpha table is, okay, well, what do you do if you know that's how you should be, but that's not where you're at? Where you feel, and here's kind of a, a symptom of apathy, you feel... Uh, I, I know I'm supposed to want God, but I'm not hungry. At least not hungry enough for it to make a difference in what I'm actually doing in my life. I just don't feel motivated. It feels boring. It feels like something that I'm not sure I want to be around. But no, that's not where I want to be. Well, there's 150 psalms, and I don't know how many of them sound like that. And the question is, do you thirst for him? Do you, do you miss him? Right? Even if you feel like I'm not there, I'm not ready to, to, to be fully embracing what he has for me right now, is there any longing in you for that to be different? Even if right now you're not sure that there's longing for God himself. I, I think that God honors that. And we, we we tell them, I don't know that I desire you, but I want to. I want to want you, God. Uh, well, that, that's an act of faith right there. And he responds to that. And, and, and you step out and you go into those ordinary places and, and moments and you, you bring your heart and you let it come near the warmth of this over time. You will be affected. Here's a, here's a prayer that Timothy and Kathy Keller provide for us. They say, Lord, my anxiety, shame, and discouragement come when I try to make my boast in other things than your goodness and unfailing love toward me. Teach me how to look to you and seek you until I know the radiance of your joy. All right, I am going to, I'm going to skip my second point there on reverence, um, but What's happening there? You know, there's just multiple times where David uses the language of fear there. That there, there's, there's something that uh, is, is, is a fear that puts all of his other fears in perspective, right? The, 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 
the God who's the giant slayer and, and, and the storm swallower and the, and the one who has, has conquered these realities, right? there, there, there is a, a humble awareness of his immensity and size that places every other concern in, in perspective, and, and that, that's clear here. Let's talk about uh, righteousness. So radiance, reverence, uh, righteousness. Verse 12, he says, What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? And, and so he, he's starting up another conversation here, and he's going to present a vision for the good life. And so he's, he's at least talking to people who feel like you, 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 want, you want to live a fulfilling life, don't you? Right? And I know sometimes you have to even get past that. Uh, I think about this, ex- this example from uh, an author named G.K. Chesterton, and he wrote a book called Man Alive, and it's a, it's a, a novel. And in that story, the main character, his name is Innocent Smith, and he's put on trial uh, for a variety of things. His name kind of gives away whether or not he's really guilty. Uh, but uh, one, one of the instances that have brought him to this moment, right? when he was a, a student, he was getting in this conversation with one of his professors, and his professor was saying, you know what, if, if there is a God, he should have put us out of our misery long ago. You know, this is just, this life is a living hell, and, 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 and there's just no meaning, there's no purpose, and so he just was having this perspective, and and... Innocent Smith pulls out a gun in that moment and, and aims it at him. And, and the guy is so shocked out of his thinking that he realizes, no, life is worth living, right? There's something that I still cling to in this moment that I, that I want, that I would miss if I didn't have it. And, and, and sometimes it takes those kinds of occasions for, for us to experience that. As well, but but here he is presenting for us what does it what does it mean to live a fulfilled life for those who who want to see good in the days that come your way. Uh, something that comes to mind for me, I think about uh, Nacho Libre's statement of uh, "My life is good, really good. I get to wake up every morning at 5 a.m." and make soup. It's the best. I get to sleep every night all by myself, alone, forever. It's fantastic, you know. Uh, he's not really convincing uh, in that moment. It may, maybe you're not fully convinced that you are living the good life uh, either. Um, but what he presents to us here, it's a, it's a life that is centered around God and his purposes. It's not found in chasing what we can find outside of his plan, outside of his will. Rich living, he says, is found in, there's a, there's, there's a, a designer to life. He's made it to operate a certain way. And he's put parameters there that are for your good and for your blessing. And so he describes this life of integrity. Look at verse 13. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Right? I don't know 
if you're, if you're in a place of feeling like, I'm just not excited about confronting tomorrow, this week, whatever it is, what, whatever that's going to bring for you, and you would rather just stay in bed all day, <laughs> keep me under the covers, I don't want to feel what I have to feel. There's, there's all kinds of questions that we could raise to explore what's brought you to that place. But you know what's not off the table is, uh, have you been honest? Or have you been deceitful? Have you been telling lies? And they're catching up to you. And, and, and you, you've been weaving that tangled web, and that's where you find yourself. And, you know, it, it's, it's kind of hitting the cracking points of, of that coming to the light. And, and David is being real here. He's saying, you know what kind of headache that brings in your life? That's restless. That's not fulfilling. It, it, it seems like those secrets and embracing hidden things and places of darkness are, are giving you something that you've not been allowed to access. That's been put off the table and you're fed up with that being off the table and so you embrace that privately and and you allow for deceit, which you always are. You don't, you don't have to outright tell a, an explicit lie. Have you done this, yes or no? No! Uh, if, if, you, if you're hiding it, there's deceit that's going on. And so if, if you feel, you, you, you come into a setting like this, and we're worshiping God, and you're just feeling, I don't know, it doesn't really do much for me. Or, or, or you're kind of, reaction to other people in your world. There's not this eagerness to serve them. There's this retreat that's going on. These are the categories he provides for us, right? Are you, are you being honest in your speech? Are you being righteous in your actions, seeking what's good? Are you pursuing peace in your relationships? Or have you been okay with bitterness with resentment, with, well, when they do this, then I'm going to, right? Welcome to a, a world that concludes everybody around you is the problem and life is one big meh because you weren't willing to seek peace. And, and, and David's just saying, I'm after your joy. I'm after you being affected. I'm after you feeling some things deeply about God and this world that he's placed you in. I'm after you experiencing the joy of God being really large in your life. But you settle for little things like being right. Or being, being shown that they actually care about you enough to start the conversation. Well, what if you're supposed to do that? What if God's called you to be a peacemaker in your relationship? So these things, when we, when we allow them to become unhinged, uh, they affect us. And, and there's all kinds of psalms that describe, you know, this is one condition, but, but David had moments that felt heavy, that felt, strange, that felt shameful, and he said, when I brought that into light, that's what changed everything. Um, Paul Maxwell 
It says, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. With impurity in conduct can come impurity in vision. In a downward cycle of sinful indulgence, we experience a haze which can very easily lead to apathy, a dull, half-baked sluggishness. All right, final thought for us. What marks the life of God of God's people? It is restoration. I just love the picture in this psalm. This is a psalm, as I said, of, of attentiveness. David is paying attention to God. He's taken care to notice what has God done for me. But what's, what's more amazing than David's attention here is God's attention. Right? Notice how he puts in verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Right? He's saying you, you have God's eyes. You have God's ears. If you, if you have both of those, you have somebody's attention. Right? When, when, when you have somebody's eyes but not their ears, well, that's not doing much. When you have their ears but not their eyes, it's like, I don't know how many times where I, I talk to my kids, no, look me in the eye. I, I need you to get this right. I want your attention. And he's saying, you've got it. You've got his eyes. You've got his ears. You have his full awareness of every need and every Trouble, right? There are people that you crave attention from, that you want, that feels unresolved for you because the rest of the world could be noticing you, but if that person isn't, then you wonder, what was the point of today? And you go into that place of despondence. You maybe feel ignored by parents, by certain friends, by somebody where you want their affection, Right, the, the God of the universe has said, I'm paying attention. And so often when we say, who cares anyway? What that means is we really care, but we think that nobody cares about us. And so we pretend like we don't care. We're okay. We're too cool to care. Who cares? Uh, well, God cares. That's what David is saying here. God understands. Even if your experience it extends further than your ability to comprehend it. He knows through and through, and he cares. And he gives not only his attention, but his presence. He doesn't just see you from afar. He's near. Verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Notice, right, warning sign, uh, this is normal. Broken hearts and crushed spirits among God's people, young and old, are normal. And so if you're heartbroken, or you feel crushed, you feel just absolutely at your limits, you feel drained, and all your emotional resources are damaged, you're not out of bounds. You're not like, oh, I must not be a Christian. Or God must really be against me. Apparently, that happens. But what God does promise is, and those are the very people that I'm closest to. <laughs> because in their need, they're, they're available. They turn to me. They're in a place to receive. And he doesn't just bring his attention and presence. He brings 
restoration. Look at how close he comes. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Um, How many in here have ever broken a bone? Raise your hand if you've broken bones multiple times or multiple bones at one time. Anybody, any story like that? Okay. Moo, multiple bones. Uh, Well, I'm sorry. I've got bad news for y'all. Y'all must not be saved because David says your bones aren't going to be broken if you really care about God. Uh, And that's obviously not what he means there. And, and, he, and he means that God will finally deliver us from every trouble. That is the end of the story. And here and now, he steps in and he brings real deliverance and a sense of safety. But do you know the one whose bones were not broken? Do you know the one that this verse is about? Right In, in John 19... The one who fulfilled the scripture that says not one of his bones will be broken was the one that had a whip tear into his flesh and nails driven through his wrists and ankles and a spear thrust into his heart so that he could do what the psalm describes here. The Lord redeems the life of of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will ever be condemned because the Lord was condemned instead. That's how close he comes. That's how much he associates himself with our need, with our condition. And, and, and the result is no condemnation, no rejection, no being sent away. And that's often what we're afraid of. Moments when you just kind of retreat to feeling numb, there's often a concern. What will people think? Will I be rejected? Will I fail? Will I not measure up? Will I face condemnation socially, (laughs) uh, from people in my life, maybe from God? Listen, if, if you are at a place where your sin has been revealed, so often the enemy uses that to make you feel, well, I've gone this far, so I better indulge. I don't know if I can go back. Do not believe those lies. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Why? Jesus was condemned. And so you run to him to take refuge. You run to him. You seek his mercy. You seek his care. You bring your broken heart. You bring your crushed spirit. You bring your apathy. You bring everything about who you are as close to him as he's promised to be near to you. And he says, and you will not be condemned. 
right? So if you ever find yourself in those moments where it's like, what, what's the point of even going on? The point is Jesus died and he rose again and he's promised to rescue you out of every trouble, not always out of having to face every consequence that your sin or foolishness have brought into your life. David still acted like an insane dude, but he knew I was delivered. And you and I are as well. Let's pray. Lord, those who look to you are radiant. Lord, we sang tonight about being taken out of darkness into a glorious day, into light that shines on us and shines through us now. And Lord, would we not fear that light? Would we not be deceived into thinking remaining on the side in the, in the darkness is what's safe? It's not. There's light that's broken into our world and into our lives. And, and, and God, would, would we know the joy of that? But I pray for any of us that, that feel in here in this, I, I think all that's true, what you're saying, Evan, but it's not where I'm at right now. Lord, you know our hearts. You know if we want to want you. Lord, you and you alone can awaken that. You and you alone can, can do what we asked you to do earlier, consuming fire, fan into flame, a passion for your name. We don't want to stay unaffected. We don't want to have a settled indifference. We want there to be a passion. We want to trust you in every moment. Every time that life hurts, we want to lean toward you knowing you are near to us and not far. Oh God, affect us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We'll spend a little more time with this topic this month, and then we are moving on from this series, and we'll have something else coming up in, in June. Thank you, guys. Thank you for being here. Sunday's book club.